This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports. Is America a great country or what, Paul Meyerberg? And I'm not talking about the midterms. I'm not talking about Democrats. I'm not talking about Republicans. Senate races, governor's races. I'm not talking about any of that. Do you know why America is such a great country? Because some... We're talking about the Knowles. Because some guy who looks like a dorky math teacher, who's 15 and 17 as a head coach, just got a $2 million a year raise to coach the Missouri Tigers. I'm talking about Eli Drinkwitz. Missouri, what are you doing? $4 million to $6 million for Eli Drinkwitz. They almost, can we say they, they almost beat Georgia this year. They've actually done the best job of playing Georgia this Okay, season. well, that's like. So as I'm thinking about that, you're like, okay, give them $2 million bucks just for playing Georgia tight. Like they almost beat Georgia. Give them a That's like me bucks. saying I'm almost six feet. <laughs> well, I mean, what what's closer? You to six feet, uh, Missouri beating Georgia. We'll leave. We'll, we we won't. I, I think. Uh, welcome to the year 2022 in America. You're going to get rich. Like if you're rich already, you're just going to get richer and richer and richer. And Eli Drinkwitz. I mean, I imagine for him, uh, he wasn't like. No, thank you. Don't give me an extra two million bucks. But he might have left that room and been like, "Whoa, what just happened here? I got, I got to call my wife. <laughs> this things just got crazy here." But it's a great time to be a football coach, Dan. We talk about it all the time. Six million bucks, fifteen and seventeen, second to last in the SEC East. Uh, generational wealth for doing. So. Yeah, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday morning, and it just popped up in my feed before we started. From Dave Matter, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Eli Drinkwitz. Extension was announced, by the way, before they lost to Kentucky last weekend. Memo to athletics directors out there who are listening. Do not announce your contract extension before the game. That doesn't work out very well. That's not a good move because then you're going to lose and then your fans are going to be all up on the message boards roasting you for giving out a contract extension do it quietly do it in the middle of the night do it you know at the end of the season or whatever like like if you're Missouri and I know we got a lot more important things to talk about than Missouri's football coach but I just don't understand like running out there before a game saying hey hey hey, we just extended the contract of, of Eli Drinkwitz five more years five more years and then you go lose to Kentucky don't do that yeah don't do that. If, if I mean, I would just pay cash and I would not tell anybody. <laughs> I mean, I know that's against the law, but that's what I would do. I don't want to. I the last thing I want to do is get roasted online. I mean, no, that's why you're not please. really on Twitter. That's not why me. you're not on Twitter anymore. Exactly. Just let, keep me out of that. But uh, fifteen and seventeen, not even seventeen and fifteen. Fifteen and seventeen. All right, we got a lot to talk about here with the college football playoff. The new rankings came out last night. No surprise, Georgia is back at number one, where they belong, where they should be. Number two is Ohio State. Number three is Michigan. TCU into the top four. Tennessee is out of the top four, but they're sitting there at number five. Oregon up to number six. And LSU in there at number seven. Interesting discussion last night on Twitter about LSU. 
And I am shocked, shocked, I say, at the pushback I got to what seems rather obvious to me, which is that if LSU runs the table, they've still got to play Arkansas and Texas A&M, games they're going to be favored in, and then in the SEC championship game beats Georgia to go 11-2, and they're going to be in the college football playoff as the first two-loss team. Like I don't really see any argument against that. Do you? The SEC champion is never getting left out of the playoff. I mean, they never will starting very soon, but they were never going to get left out of the 14 playoff whatsoever, especially when you think about an 11-2 LSU would have wins against three teams currently in the top nine of the yeah. playoff rankings. Uh, uh, no. Well, Ole Miss, Alabama. Right? Ole Miss, right, so top top yeah. 10. Uh, top yeah, 11. Ole Miss, Alabama, um, and Georgia. They're getting in if they win those if they win these last games. Right. I, I I mean, look, I don't know. Like I, I I understand that they got their ass kicked by Tennessee at home, and Tennessee would have one loss versus LSU's two. But like you said, like in, unless the SEC had a champion that was kind of a fluke deal, and it was like an eight and four team or something that was a 30-point mm-hmm. underdog in the championship game and somehow won, the SEC champion's getting in. LSU's going to jump Tennessee if that happens. I'm sorry. I mean, LSU's getting in and Georgia's yeah. getting in and maybe even Tennessee's getting possible. in. in that possible, case, I mean, possible. Honestly. It's not out of so, the question. We think, I, I believe that we agree, LSU could lose either one of these last two games. I, I really believe that. Maybe not A&M, but they could definitely lose to Arkansas. I mean – this is not like a juggernaut LSU team. This is in 2019. But we have to admit and like accept the fact, especially if you're from outside of SEC country, if they're 11 and 2, they're just going to get it. That's just, that's, that's just like, forget it. Just forget it. If they're 11 and 2, they're getting it. And the way they're playing, maybe they could run the table. Seems unlikely, but it's definitely possible. They've got something going. All right, let's talk about just the state of play here. And let's loop it back into what we saw. Last weekend, Georgia, number one, they had what I called on the field when I was talking to some other uh, reporters. I was there in Athens as they uh, beat Tennessee. I said it was probably the most lopsided two-touchdown win in the history of college football. Um, Like, it just never at any point in that game, except for maybe like the first three minutes when Georgia fumbled and Tennessee got that extra possession and kicked a field goal, it never felt like Tennessee was going to win that game. And it honestly could have been a lot worse. I think Georgia geared it down. I don't think. I know. Like, they had the lead at halftime, sizable lead. It started raining. It was pouring, actually, in the third quarter. And Kirby Smart went back to his Alabama DNA, his Nick Saban DNA, and just said, yeah, we're done here. This game's we're not we're not we're not going to do anything more here. We're just gonna we're just gonna bleed this thing dry. Tennessee got one touchdown back, and so it was a two score game. But I think I think two things are true at once. First of all, it, it exposed that Tennessee is just not on that level, talent wise. Like it's been an amazing season, great run, awesome offense. Hendon Hooker having an unbelievable year. Jalen Hyatt all these guys, but like Georgia's a program that's been recruiting at a crazy high level for five straight years, six, six years. 
And that's what you get when you do that. That's the kind of performance you can get. And Tennessee has been basically a dysfunctional mess. And they're getting a lot out of the guys they have. But they they are not 2019 LSU talent-wise. I'm sorry. They're just not. Oh, gosh, no. And, um, and that was obvious in that game. I don't think there's too much to analyze other than just Georgia's better. But I also think everyone just sort of anointing Georgia as they're just going to cruise to the national title. I don't think that's really true either. Like, I do think that there's some, there's still some, some, I wouldn't say even warts, but I'm not like they can't lose. That's not where I am with Georgia. They're good. I think they're probably going to win the national championship, but I don't think it's, it's one of those situations where they just can't lose. I think they're going to cruise to the national championship game. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to cruise in November. They're going to win the SEC title. If they played LSU and it, and they cared, unlike kind of like last year, they would destroy LSU. And they're, if they get matched up with TCU, it's... What if they get matched up again uh, with Tennessee and it would be in Atlanta in the Peach Bowl? Georgia by... Georgia by 14. Say it's just, I mean, just, a re- the just a replay of the same game. Yeah, I mean, we saw, you saw it in person, but even on TV, it, it is so clearly evident that for all the schematic advantage that Josh Heupel has given Tennessee in terms of being unique, not unique, but in terms of maximizing what they have, these are two different programs, two different teams operating on two different levels. It's older brother, little brother, and it's not like by a by a year. It's like seven-year gap. It's it's a profound difference. I don't think Tennessee on any day, uh, on any day, on 99 out of 100 days is going to have what it takes man up against Georgia to beat that Georgia team. So I think Georgia cruises to the national championship game. Yeah, but I, 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 it's like we can't say at this point that Georgia's unstoppable or unbeatable. I, I know we want to, but I still think Ohio State, like in that really short amount of time, in a 15-minute chunk is the best team in the country because they can really turn on like a gear that I haven't seen anyone else do. I think Michigan's really good. Maybe, probably not, but maybe. So let's, let's pump the brakes a bit. Georgia, very, very impressive. And there's there's no doubt, I mean, at least in our poll and also in the playoff rankings, they're number one, and they've earned it. So it was interesting after the game, going down to the press conference, Kirby Smart just kept talking over and over and over again about the buy-in from his defense. And you sort of take that for granted, Maybe like, yeah, of course, like the coaches are going to have a game plan and they're going to practice it all week. Like, why wouldn't the players buy in? But when you play Tennessee, I think one of the things we've seen throughout the course of the season, like against LSU or against Alabama, even when, you know, they just have like receivers running so open all over the field and just like, how did that happen? (laughs) Right. Mm hmm. Part of it is you have to be disciplined. Like you have to, every single play, understand what it is you're doing, understand your assignment, not get caught up in the conflict that Tennessee's offense is trying to put you in. And you just have to say, yeah, if we give up a seven yard underneath route, that's fine. We What we can't do is get burned on the you know 50 yard go pattern. And Georgia did that all night long. And, you know, I just think, like, it's not only about personnel. Georgia's got personnel. It's about coaching. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, we give all the offensive coaches the hype in this era of college football. But damn, man, Kirby Smart is a great defensive coach. Yeah, I mean, that was a clinic. It's a combination, Dan, of like, there's. A, I'm not smart enough or educated enough to, to know this. There seems to be obviously an X's and O's advantage. Like, that's not like take it all away from Kirby Smart. It's not like he's just like putting the 11 best guys on the field. There's an X's and O's part, aspect of it. Um, but also, I, I think what I thought, what I loved about last year's defense was that as great as these individual guys were, and we saw, what, five go in the first round, the sum of the parts was so much greater than that. Like, it was about 11 guys operating a high level as one. I think Georgia's defense, um, if I think back in the last 10 years or so, if I throw out Alabama, the only other defense that operated that way, I think, is Clemson under Venables. But that defense never, no disrespect to the Isaiah Simmons or so of the world, never had Georgia's talent level. It was about finding fits for certain roles. Georgia's just oozing talent. So it's an incredible combination. And like I said, I don't know if anyone other than Ohio State can score on them consistently and make Georgia play a game that they're uncomfortable with because it's clear that, uh, at least in the SEC, maybe Alabama lucks into the SEC championship game and Bryce Young goes crazy, but at least in the SEC, there's no offense that really – if they know how to attack it, they're not capable of doing it. So they're operating on a totally different level. Did it seem that way with your own eyes from from 100 feet up, just like watching them operate in space, that it was like this machine of guys just working together like a, like a conveyor belt? Well, here's what it was like to me. When I saw the interception that Keely Ringo got, you know, you know the play I'm talking about? I mean, he's, he's basically yeah. running down the sideline – and, like, you just can't cover a receiver any better than he did. And then he just has a beat on it and gets the interception as if the ball was thrown to him. And it, that's the kind of thing you just don't see in college football very often. You know, and honestly, he's a guy who people had kind of been down on a little bit. Uh, Kirby Smart actually said, it was funny, he said in the press conference that uh, Keely Ringo had texted him last Sunday and said, uh, coach, I want to talk to you. And Kirby was like, uh, what's wrong, man? And he's like, I want number 11. I want number 11. We're talking about Jalen Hyatt. And Kirby's like, uh, yeah, well, that's not really the game plan. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's not how, that's this, not works. how this works, right? I, I, I've, 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 I've won a few games as a coach, right? So, so, uh, <laughs> So I'm going to be the guy who decides who's uh, who's who's covering Jalen Hyatt and when, but like, like he went out there and played, man, and you know it, it was it's it's and then the second half of that game, like you get into the third quarter and starts raining, and then Georgia just kind of pins their ears back and just starts just coming after Hendon Hooker and Kirby's out there on the side and they're just running the same thing over and over and over and over again, getting that guy coming off the edge and they're like, is Tennessee going to stop it? Like we can't possibly run this again. <laughs> Oh, yes, we can. Not another time. Yes, we can. Another time. Yes, we can. And they just kept doing it. And uh, you know, I almost felt a little bad for Hendon Hooker at various points in that game because he was getting beat up. But, uh, yeah. yeah, just impressive. Just impressive stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, Georgia. Georgia's just 
heads and shoulders above the rest of that conference right now. And a little bit is because, and we'll talk about Alabama, there just isn't that foil. We thought Tennessee would be that foil, but that's a 27-13 win that might as well have been. It could have been 45-13. to 13. Know, Yeah, it just, it felt like, and I will give, and, and like this is worlds colliding, but I, I will give uh, Boo Corrigan a little bit of credit from last night, who's the committee chair, in that he said, uh, we don't see any difference between 27-13 and 49-3. One, they uh, shouldn't. Between Oregon. Yeah. They really should. I mean, they're both, one looks worse. Both are realistically the same. Game control from start to finish uh, and no chance of, of, of winning. So I give them a little bit of credit for that. It was an ass kicking. And uh, even from from 30,000 feet, you recognize there's not a lot of difference between that and what they did to Oregon. All right, let's let's talk about Alabama. So 32-31, LSU wins in overtime. Brian Kelly goes for two and gets it. I actually don't think it was that gutsy of a call. Like Everyone's sort of talking about it was such an amazing gutsy call by Brian Kelly. I actually think it was kind of the obvious call because when you are now in overtime and you have the ball second, with the new rules, if you go into a second overtime – you have to go for two after touchdowns and you get the ball first, right? So, so mm-hmm. in other words, if he had kicked the extra point and gotten it to a second overtime, then LSU was going to get the ball back right there again immediately. And if they score a touchdown the next time, then they have to go for two by rule. So it's like, why wouldn't you go for two the first time you, you have it there? Um, that's That's the first thing, but We've talked about it before. I've said it. This is not a great LSU team, but I always had confidence that Brian Kelly, by the end of the year, was going to get those guys playing good football, that there was going to be an obvious difference in coaching between what you had from Ed Orgeron and Brian Kelly. Like We've made fun of Brian Kelly. Everyone's made fun of him. I never said he can't coach. I never said, (laughs) you know, I I, I said, hey, fake accent. Like There's going to be like a weird cultural fit here. But I never said it was a bad hire. Like I, I always thought that this was going to happen when when he got his hands on that kind of talent. Yeah, we we should make that clear. Uh, he can't, you know, say a touffet, but he can coach football for sure. That's just we we want to be honest about that. Um, no, I don't think LSU is that good. I don't think they're that good. Like everything relative, are they the seventh best team in the country? I. I don't know if that's the case or not, but they are certainly building the resume to warrant that. And they're also building a case to, to maybe give Georgia a game in, in early December. Probably not. I would not have gone for two, Dan. And I, that's only because I thought with the way that Jaden Daniels had played and the way that they had gotten him free as a runner, that I wasn't as scared of going that like offense versus offense. We got to get 25 yards competition. Like it didn't scare me too much, but like you said, eventually you're going to win on a two pointer. Why not go for it while the defense is tired? The win itself is not so much about LSU as about Alabama. And I think we should just talk about how Alabama as a team uh, can't win on the road against good teams. They cannot stop committing penalties. They are not good up front. And their receiver core is absolutely atrocious, just atrocious. It's gone from being like historically good in the COVID year to pretty darn good with Williams last year to just being non-existent. It's a lot like Clemson, but almost worse. 
So Alabama's got deep, deep issues, like deep issues. And uh, this is shaping up to be their worst year since probably since 2010. So what you're saying is the year after they won their what you're first. saying is Nick Saban is washed up. All I'm saying is that he needs to be fired today. That's all I'm basically. Look, like I, he's got to bear some blame yeah. for it. I don't know what the situation is. I don't know if maybe the portal has even the playing field a bit for teams and made it harder. I don't, I don't know to to keep and maintain or retain or acquire the certain talent that you need. I just know that you went into this season thinking that a Georgia transfer at receiver is going to be your dude, and he's not. And they don't have the weapons. They don't have the personnel. And Bryce Young is so yeah, good. He's, Bryce Young. I, I, he's amazing. We need to just say he is better this year than last year. He's operating at a different frequency. Like his ability to make plays this year with no one really around him other than Gibbs is unbelievable. And he's getting no help. And it's a shame because he's putting up a pretty historic season that would win a Heisman. In a yeah, it's crazy basically to think that Bryce Young, as good as he's been last year and this year, is going to be the quarterback who doesn't win a national championship at Alabama. I mean, that's that's wow. crazy. But it's true, mm-hmm. and he's not going to. I mean, they're, they're done. And your eyes are not lying to you, right? I've heard people say, well, you know, they lose by three at Tennessee, you know, and it, they, they screwed up the end of the game, time management, and missed a field goal, and they shouldn't have lost that one. And that's true. And – you know they they lose on a two point conversion at LSU, so they they could certainly be sitting here at at nine and zero. But your eyes aren't lying to you, man. They should have lost to Texas. They could have lost to A and M. You know, goal line stand. Like water finds its level when you're in four games that come down to a one play. You're not going to win them all, and you're not going to probably lose them all. It's going to be about two and two. <laughs> And that's that's where they are, right? So their best win this year is is that Texas win. And Texas is, you know, bottom end of the top twenty five type of team. This Alabama team yeah. is where they are because that's what they deserve. And um there are cracks. I'm not gonna sit here and say that Nick Saban's done or that, you know, it's over. Done that before and, and been wrong. But it's going to end at some point. It's going to end at some point. It's going to fall apart at some point because it it has to. It doesn't go on forever. None of us do, none of us go on forever. Um I'm I'm worried. I'm worried because I, this is not the standard of football that they should be playing based on the talent they have. And I'm worried because like you said, they're in this position Despite the fact that their quarterback has been amazing, like if it wasn't Bryce Young and it was Milrow in there, what would what would okay. what would the record be? It'd be bad. It'd be really bad. Yeah. So um, they're twelve point favorites at Ole Miss this weekend. Why? Why? No clue. They're, they're no going to lose to they're going to lose to Ole Miss. They're going to lose to Ole Miss this weekend. 12 point favorites is a lot. Why are they number nine in the, in the why play, are they number nine? The why? Just, They're not good. It's like, it's just to set up. You just don't want to have your potential sec champions, like number 14 going into the end of November. You know what I mean? You just got to keep them in the ballpark. 
but they have no business being number nine. Not that it matters, not that anyone cares, but Clemson at number 11, Clem- or number 10 right behind them. Clemson's best win is better than theirs. NC State, their loss is better. I mean, they have fewer losses, rather. Um, they have more wins against better teams. So I don't I mean, I don't know why. But still, Alabama, uh, they don't look, play, smell, touch anything like the number nine team of the country whatsoever. If you if they, if you had put Auburn jerseys on them, this is like number 23, number 22 in the country. Well, since you mentioned Clemson, let's let's go there. Let let me just say thank you Notre Dame, thank you Marcus Freeman for delivering that thirty-five to fourteen win over Clemson. And I don't say that with any malice toward Clemson or to Dabo Sweeney or anybody associated with that program, but I don't think anybody wanted to watch that team go into the college football playoff and play Georgia because. It would be ugly. Yeah, that would be uh, t- that would be not for children. Definitely, that would, should have, that would definitely be the late game. Hopefully, and and keep the violence off our TV screens. I didn't want to see Clemson in it. I still think they can get. I don't in think it, they can. I don't think they can. I, I think they can. Well, I mean, it's not like as easy as TCU getting in. Obviously, TCU's got a very clear path, but, but Clemson could get in with a little bit of help. Uh, I would take Tennessee over Clemson. I just hope they are better by the I would point. take Tennessee over Clemson. You think a twelve and yes. one? I think Tennessee over Clemson any day of the week. I, I, I think Tennessee would smoke I, Clemson. Would you take it for competitive purposes or would you think the committee would take eleven and one over twelve and one? I just I, from the ACC knowing the ACC's I not. I think good. the resume's better, I think their team's better. Period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and Clemson has done this to themselves. And my point was like basically if they do backdoor into this thing, they better be ready because the performances that they put together in like the last I mean, all season. Just all season. Since the start of last season. Those performances, if they walk into a Georgia game or an Ohio State game or even a Michigan game like that, I would be very concerned all right. that I could get well, out of here. Let me ask you this question. Dabo Sweeney is like in his like mid fifties or early fifties, something like that. Mm-hmm. Would you take over under 0.5 national championships for Clemson the rest of Dabo Sweeney's career? Over or under? Over. You would take over. You think he's going to win another one? I don't. I absolutely I don't. do. I think he'll win one more. Look what he needs. Like if you take, uh, I think Clemson needs to take a step back and and. Think about who's around him, who's on his staff, and maybe you could use an upgrade, and you could maybe you could bring Jeff Scott back, and maybe that would help things out a little bit. Uh, if you look at the team itself, in a lot of ways, in a lot of positions, it looks like the vintage Clemson teams that we've known. Quarterback sucks. I'm sorry, that's really harsh. Quarterback play has not been good enough. Receiver play is abysmal, atrocious, just ridiculous. I once saw Dabo Sweeney do a wide receiver presentation in Connecticut at a coach's clinic. He talked about how to coach receivers for legitimately over two hours. The guy knows receivers like Bill Gates knows computers. There's no excuse for this, how bad they are at wide receiver. But if you address those two spots, I think they could win. Just like get Trevor Lawrence back, get your receivers back. This team could win a national championship. So I think that he wins one more. One more. I don't think he wins two more, just one. I feel like I know Dabo pretty well. I mean, I was on the Dabo train before they before they started to really have it rolling at Clemson. 
because I saw I saw what was happening. Dabo hipster is what you. Were. I was. I I saw it coming. I saw the rise. I was very clear-eyed about what I was looking at. I thought it was all coming together, even when they were getting their ass kicked every year by Florida State. I was like, they're they're right there. I think since they they've won those championships, I think Dabo has changed. I think success has gotten in his head. I think he's become more um, stubborn. I think he's become more doctrinaire. You like that word, doctrinaire? Um, and I think it's hurt him. Mm, yeah, I like that a lot. I think it's hurt him because if you look at history, uh, when when did things really start to turn at Clemson? It turned when he went outside to bring in Brent Venables and to bring in Chad Morris. Now, people people make fun of Chad Morris now because of what a disaster he was at Arkansas. But, um, you know, offensively, like Chad Morris put in a system at Clemson that that helped win them a lot of games. And, and by the way, he recruited Deshaun Watson. Uh, so, you know, that was that was a pretty big hire in, in Dabo's career. Chad, yeah. Chad Morris is easily one of the most impactful assistant coach hires of the last 15 years in college right. football for what he did and what he left in place. But, you know, since then, what has Clemson done? What has Dabo done? It's it's all promoting from within. You know, it's it's all right, we've groomed these guys to to take over and we're going, we're staying in the family. We're not going to hire outside. And I think there's a lot of ego involved in that, to be honest with you, because I think it's Dabo telling himself I made these guys and I am going to be the one my, this is going to be my program from, you know, from, you know, who sweeps the floor in the locker room to who's making the call to, you know, to, to spring Hunter Renfro on a two point conversion to win a national championship. That's to me, that's where his head is at. And I think it's all about him right now. And I think the only way that Clemson is going to get back to where they were is if he's got it within himself to say, all right, I got to put my ego over here and I got to start making decisions that are in the best interest of Clemson and not in the best interest of making Dabo Sweeney look good. How about that take? That's a hot take. I I think that if you are accurate in where he's coming from, and I think there's an aspect of that to any successful industry, any successful person that you get set in your ways. Um, if Dabo is that set in his ways right now, I don't think he's going to change. Like he's just not. You're you've you're you're just not. You're not gonna you're not gonna rip up your blueprint and invent reinvent yourself. I don't I don't see that. And also, does he really have the impetus to? You know what I mean? He does have full control of his fiefdom. And he's got, you know, his fingerprints all over a program that he built, that he owns, that is his. What is his impetus to make any dramatic or drastic changes? I mean, going 12-1, and one, finishing fifth in the college football playoff, not making the playoff is going to stink, but I don't think it's going to cause any sort of deep self-reflection going into right, the season. Right, right. That's that's probably accurate. And guess what? We're going to be right back here next year if that's the case. Uh, you mentioned Jeff Scott. He got fired at South Florida. Nice guy. 
I think he's he's a good offensive coach, but they lost a lot of games. They yep. didn't win a whole lot. Is, is Steve Spurrier? They lost the Temple. They lost the Temple. They got blown out by Temple. As Steve, as Steve Spurrier might say, uh, didn't win too many. Didn't win too many. <laughs> nope, definitely not. I think it was four and twenty-eight. Yeah. Am I making that, that was up? Bad. It was bad. That's bad. That's bad, Jeff. Uh, I think he might have uh, won. He is very two nice. games against FBS. Two maybe against FBS teams. It's it was bad. It was really bad. It wasn't that bad when he got no. there. I think that's the problem. Yeah. So I, I, if I were Clemson, I would be happy to accept him back in a receiver coach role. Not to advocate for replacing somebody else, but if a job opens up, I'm sure Jeff Scott will will be able to get back into his old his old stuff. All right. Let me ask you this question: Why is Ohio State? ranked above Michigan. I mean, I know it's two versus three. I know they're going to play. We'll figure it out. But I've like been watching this all season and I'm not going to predict that Michigan is going to go into Columbus and beat Ohio state. We'll see when the time comes. Still got some time to go, but like I've watched a lot of those teams. I've watched them every week side by side. Ohio, Ohio state has not played as well as Michigan. I, I like, I, I don't find that to be a controversial take. And last week was just more evidence of it when you know it was twenty-one to seven against Northwestern. It was it was you know it was a one it was a one possession game for a long time. They just could not impose their will over Northwestern. I know it was windy. Gotten a lot of Twitter pushback from Ohio State fans this week about a tweet I I had basically saying like, "Yo, I mean." Ohio State, dude, what's 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 happening here? Um, I know it's windy, right? It was a windy day. But, yeah, if it's windy, guess what? Um, run the ball, maybe? If you can't throw it, try to run it? And, I don't know, like, if you need... If you need perfect weather conditions to, to get your offense rolling, it seems like a problem for a team that plays in the Big Ten. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, there's you could be playing on an aircraft carrier uh, in the middle of the Indian Ocean, in the middle of a typhoon, with sh- with sharks jumping onto the deck, biting, snapping at your feet, and you still should not beat Northwestern by 14 points. Uh, I don't care what the conditions are, as long as Northwestern is playing in the same conditions. This should not be a 21-7 game that they were never going to lose. But still, uh, eye-opening how bad it was. The reason they're number two, Dan, and I'm fine with it, is because they beat Notre Dame, and I think that's a that's a win now that separates them from Michigan. When you look at Michigan's schedule, it's just not it's just not very good. You know what I mean? It's just not. And no, it doesn't mean Michigan's not awesome. It doesn't mean that they're not very good. It just means their schedule is not very good. So I don't have a problem putting Ohio State number two. Um, I just think you're looking more and more at a situation where Michigan could be favored in that game going into Columbus. I, I on the twenty. I think that's unlikely. I think that's unlikely. But I'm just saying it's possible. The way Michigan has played, like Rutgers. Okay, Rutgers is the Vanderbilt of the Big Ten. No, I'm sorry. They're the they're the Missouri of the Big Ten. I think uh, Nebraska or, or Indiana is probably the Vanderbilt of the Big Ten. But nonetheless, they're not they're not an elite opponent. But like Michigan, what they did in the third quarter there, uh, if you happen to watch it, uh, 
that was really impressive, even against Rutgers. So I know I always say about Ohio State, as I did like five minutes ago, like when they played Penn State and they had that six-minute run, I can't help but be super impressed by what they can do in a six-minute chunk. Michigan, in a, in a way, with less fireworks and more physicality and like, you know, less of a highlight reel moment, they can do the same. So at the very least, we can agree upon this. Georgia won, Ohio State and Michigan, 2-3, 3-2, whoever you want to do it. Those are the three teams that have taken a huge step ahead of the pack right now. Maybe not a huge step, a significant visible step ahead of the pack. All right, so let's say that uh, Georgia just rolls you know, the rest of the way and they're the number one seed. Let's say that uh, on Thanksgiving weekend that Ohio State and Michigan play a classic. Great game, and it comes down to a field goal. Is is that a good enough argument for them both to get in? Or let's say Michigan loses. Let's say Michigan is the team that loses by a field goal. Does the fact that they don't have you know that marquee non-conference win keep them out? Even if I test wise, you know, you sort of feel like they're right there. Yeah, I think their schedule is an, is an eliminator. Do you agree? I mean, look, here's the problem, and I go back and forth on this. I say this all the time. If Oregon had scheduled Georgia State instead of Georgia on opening weekend, then they'd be in the top four, and we'd be talking about them easily getting into the playoff right now. So yeah. I can't really, like, in good conscience – say that on one hand, and then on the other, bash Michigan for not scheduling anybody. Yeah, I I think it would have clearly served them better had they, you know, and and there was something that happened. I can't remember exactly what it was. They had a game scheduled and got out of it or something. I'll have to go back and look at exactly how they ended up in this place. But I don't know. Let's say that they had uh, scheduled a home game against – I don't know. Um, let's say, let's say, you know, Oklahoma, right? And and we'd have been hyped it up. We'd have hyped it up, and it would have been a big deal. Would it have really made a difference in how I think about Michigan? Not really. Like the quality of their mm-hmm. team, you know what I mean? Because they would have won that game, and and it, you know, but it wouldn't. Have, you, you know, do you get what I'm? You get what I'm saying here? No, I understand what you're saying. I'm I'm thinking from when I try to put myself into the shoes of a committee member or a committee as a group, I think there are, there are like three types or at least two types of candidates. There's the teams that you can't leave out and they get lucky sometimes and get four of those. Usually they get at least two and, and often three. Uh, and really there are the teams that you want to find an excuse not to put in to make your job easier, like just to streamline things. And I think Michigan's schedule, we all believe to a man, even in Columbus, that Michigan is one of the four best teams in the country. And that's really important. But they have a built-in excuse not to put them in at 11-1, and one, regardless of what happens in Columbus, and it's their schedule. And I think that sometimes the committee needs those and really relies upon those to make it easier for themselves. So if it's 12 and 1 teams or 13 and 0 t- TCU against yeah, an 11 and 1 Tennessee against 11 and 1 Michigan, 
at the very least, you can be like, okay, we can put Michigan aside. We love them, but they are, they just don't have the resume. Let's make it a little bit yeah. easier on ourselves. Just trying to guesstimate. All right, let's move on to TCU. You've been the you've been the doubter. You've been the hater. You've said they're going to lose. <laughs> they're now nine and zero, getting closer and closer. But the next two weeks are <clears throat> that's the deal, right? They go to Texas and to Baylor. I would say the odds of them winning both of those games are under 50%, well under 50%, don't you? Yes, I'd say they are approximately uh, in the the 25 to 33% range. Texas is favored this weekend by a touchdown, which I think just tells you sort of all you need to know about, I don't know, just sort of the overall vibe around this this TCU run, but I still continue to say, like, they they continue to win these games. Like, they've won their last three by double digits, you know, at the end of the day. Now, they've been behind, and maybe it hasn't been perfect all the time, but I, I have to give them a lot of credit for continuing to put put these performances together, and, and like, I, I, I just can't sit here and say I'd be surprised if they, they beat Texas, I because... Like they they've they've done it every week, man. They've been good. Yeah, they find a way to win. It's not always pretty, but they find a way to win. Um, just want to like we talk about the playoffs so much, and we try not to lose focus of it. But just to reiterate a point that we make all the time, it's okay to just win the Big yeah. Twelve. You know what I mean? You you were picked to go probably. I thought you'd go six and six back in August, and most people agreed. It's okay. To just go eleven and two, win the Big Twelve, or go eleven and two and play for the Big Twelve title, and go to a New Year's Six Bowl—that's an incredible season. You don't have to go fifteen and zero to throw a parade. And TCU is at the point where, like, if they just get to the Big Twelve championship game and they get to a New Year's Six, that's parade worthy for Sunny Dykes. So, like, I'm a doubter because we're so hyper focused on who can go and run the table and who can do this. TCU's having an amazing season. I, I hope that they're flying like planes with those long things on the back. Like, we love you, Sonny. Like, go, Max. Like, rah, rah, froggies. Like, I hope they're really celebrating it because it's an incredible year. They're just not that good. Like, in the conversation of the Georgia-Ohio State class, they're not in that group. Well, and not. when it comes to the narrative, I mean, talk about a storyline if Texas is the one that ends their unbeaten run. And guess who's on the Texas sideline? <laughs> good old, G- oh good old GP. He's going to be a just an absolute battering ram if they win that game. Like he's going to be a pinball bouncing around, like jumping on people. He's going to he's going to knock people. He's going to close line Sonny Dykes. He's going to try to find. Yeah, no, yeah. He's get, not actually going to do that, but yeah, he's he's going to be he's going to be uh, emotional. I think would be the way to say it. If it they win it still game. looks weird to see Gary Patterson and Burnt Orange. Like it's it just is deeply disturbing, and I, I don't think I'll ever quite get used to it. But, um, yeah, I mean, he doesn't like Sonny. No, he feels like he's he's a conspiracy theorist. He's probably a flat earther. He thinks, like, everyone's out to get him. He wanted to be the head coach at Texas so bad. He's like he's like the guy from The Office where he's like, I'm the regional. I didn't, I didn't really watch the show. You know the guy I'm talking about? He's like, I'm the regional manager. And they're always like, uh, you're the assistant regional manager. So Gary's like, I'm the head coach. You're like, you're the special assistant to the head coach of Texas. He got close, 
But if they beat TCU, he's going to celebrate like it's you know nineteen ninety nine. What would you say if at the end of the day at Nebraska, Gary Patterson is the head coach at Nebraska? I would say things have gone really, wrong. really, wow. Yeah. Gary Pat, yeah, and this is not like I have spent as of you uh, as a, a not insignificant amount of time with him. I know he can coach football, um, and and I that I imagine he wants to get. You back know in. he can coach football, dude. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's going to be in the College Football Hall. He's of got Fame. a statue. I think that nothing against him, but like. It's just the timing. What do you see about the end of his tenure at TCU that makes you think like, oh, just he just needs a change of scenery? Well, I, I, I think maybe he got a little too comfortable, a little too ingrained. You know, it's like kind of some of the stuff we're talking about at Clemson. You know, when you when you say, hey, you know, it it can't ever go wrong for a guy who's done X, Y, Z at a school. Yeah, it can. Look at Gary Patterson. It can go wrong. They can run you out of yeah. there. I think he got too comfortable. I think he got too much power. I think he probably got a little too much ego in there. Um, was kind of just started searching a little bit, and it just got away from him. Yeah, I'm not. I well, yeah, he lost. They lost track of yeah, who they were. Exactly. Exactly. Sure. I, I I'm not saying that I would do that if I were Nebraska, but I wouldn't discount the possibility there's a second run in him somewhere. Well, how old is he now? Let me look it up. Is he like 62, 63, something like that? Gary Patterson is 62. Wow. Nailed it. Um, yeah, like 62 is not old in these in this current age of college football. I mean, like no one is like – when you hire guys like, hey, we hope that he's our coach in 2062 when we play, you know, Space Force Academy, that's where you get in trouble. So I think that it makes sense to, to you know, as if you're going to look at Patterson as a six to eight year guy, being 62 does not preclude that. Um, yeah, like you said, he's a Hall of Fame coach. I'm just trying to think of. I say something has gone wrong about that hire. I think they can do differently than that, but it could obviously do a lot worse than that. You know, they could do a whole lot worse than Gary Patterson. Okay, let's hit on the Pac-12. We've got Oregon at number six. In the committee's rankings, USC at number eight. I think the USC ranking is um, does not Ludicrous. does not pass the eye test. I mean, they can obviously score. I think honestly, like you have to start talking Caleb Williams in the Heisman conversation. Uh, but yeah. you know, the defense is just why 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 is Lincoln Riley like so tied at the hip to Alex Grinch? Alex Grinch is Alex Grinch had some good defenses like at Washington State. Ever since then, he's mm-hmm. sucked. He's absolutely sucked. Yeah, and this year's defense is like it is bad and getting worse. Like I've watched them every week for four or five weeks in a row now. Their defense is getting worse. And I don't like this is not like we've got a fire Alex Grinch thing. I just think this is totally personnel, totally depth. When they attacked this team and this roster in the offseason, they basically were like, what can we do to make my offense yeah. great and make my offense fun? And the, and and they did achieve that. But it's left some deficiencies on defense. I think Grinch, if you believe in him and you believe that he's had success in the Pac-12, I think you've got to believe that he needs at least one more year to see what the defense could look like with a little bit more depth. 
when it comes to USC as a team, uh, like I would have Caleb Williams himself like 19th in the playoff poll. He's incredible. <laughs> the way he's been playing the last three weeks has been he's lights out. And if you're on the East Coast or wherever and you're not staying up to watch him, I understand. I hope you get a chance to watch him because he, he is this three week stretch. He's playing better than any quarterback in the country, Hedden Hooker included. Um, but this is a flawed team. It's a one dimensional team. Like they're playing UCLA in a, in a couple of weeks. UCLA watching them, they don't have the flash um, or the style or the marquee guys, but they are such a better team than USC. UCLA is best in the Pac-12 on offense, second best on defense by just like a hair behind Washington State in just yards per play. They're a better team than SC, and I am struggling to understand outside of the Caleb Williams hype and appeal why the committee has SC ahead of UCLA, let alone a bunch of other teams that are played better, look better on both sides, and have a better resume. It's a fair point. Uh, real quick, if you're an NFL GM – Caleb Williams or Bryce Young? Caleb Williams. And that's and Bryce Young is a special dude, and we've talked about him nonstop. I think by this point next year when Caleb Williams is ready to go into the draft, I think we'll start evaluating him and looking at him as a as a an equally good prospect. I just seem to like him more. I think the he's bigger, he's a little bit stronger, yeah. and I think he's gonna hold up a little bit better on the next level. So he'd be I'm right favorite. there with you. Let's hit on Oregon real quick. So they've got three games left, all against winning teams, all against you know good teams. Mm-hmm. Washington at home, Utah at home, and then they finish at Oregon State. Um, I think people are coming around on Oregon now because of the way they've been playing. They're really good. Bo Nix is Bo Nix the Heisman front runner right now. I think that he's a finalist as of right now, you know, and if he plays well these last three games and then maybe he beats Caleb Williams and SC in early December, then I think he could absolutely win. 22 touchdowns, five interceptions on the year, 73.3% completions. 13 rushing touchdowns. I mean, he's putting together a resume, big, big time resume. And, And, you know, like, it's funny. It's really funny. Somebody tweeted me yesterday when I was praising Bo Nix you know, that that this says the Pac-12 isn't as good as the SEC because he didn't do this in the SEC, which is hilarious because, like, you, yeah. could, you could apply this argument to anybody. Like, okay, Hendon Hooker was, like, just a dude in the ACC. He was, he was, like, a, he was like a middling <laughs> ACC quarterback, and now he's – so what does that mean, like, the ACC is better than the SEC? Of course not. So, sometimes it's about system. It's about fit. And also, like, these are young guys. They get better every year. Bo Nix has become. I have to. I, I don't want to take anything away from anybody who who does what Bo Nix went up to Oregon and and did. He became a great college football player. Yeah, he's this year's Kenny Pickett in terms of a guy who had a really rough and tumble first couple of years and and then maximized his final year. Obviously, Pickett a little bit different because he didn't transfer, but. Bo Nix being good at Oregon wasn't the evidence I needed to tell me the SEC is better than the Pac-12. I was able to figure that out. I was able to see that, decipher that on my own. Oregon, Dan, if they're 12-1 and one and they've beaten four teams that are going to win eight or more games in the regular season, don't know how you keep them out. I don't know how they get well, kept out. Well, here's the thing. And, and again, we, we talked about the comparative score between them and Tennessee. 
when they played Georgia. And obviously it was a disaster. And and we know why it was a disaster. First game, new quarterback, first game, new coach, going cross country, blah, 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 blah. But, and I, I don't know how the committee is going to evaluate this. I really don't. But let's be clear about one thing. Oregon has better players than Tennessee. And they can thank, they can yeah. thank Mario Cristobal for that. And Mario has gone to Miami and he has sucked. Like, they, it, it is going, and I don't want to spend any time on Miami. Like, it is going as badly as it could possibly go in year one for Mario. He did recruit very well at Oregon. Like, the reason why they're in this position is because he, 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 he put together a nice roster, man. He put together a nice roster. I think Dan Lanning deserves a tremendous amount of credit. Ken, Kenny Dillingham, like, they're doing stuff with that coaching staff. I love yeah. that coaching staff. I love the way they're approaching it. I love the way they talk about it. I love the way they, they do it on game day. Like to me, it's night and day game day between crystal ball regime and the landing regime. Like I think Oregon is, is Oregon is in a great spot. Dan Lanning has exceeded my expectations by 10 million, right? This first year. Absolutely. Um, but when you want to loop it back to the playoff discussion, if they end up with one loss, the argument I'd make for them over Tennessee is not just like the is not the wins or winning the conference championship. It's they have a better roster. They have better players than Tennessee. I do want to mention the score of Florida State Miami <laughs> because because it was one of those games, Dan, where uh, I followed it, I was watching it, and then I went away for a bit. And then I went back, saw the score, and had to look at the score again to make sure it was correct. They lost forty-five to three. They lost forty-five to three. Our boy, our our young our young friend Mike Norvell, he's growing up so fast because his team is actually pretty good in year three. They're in the playoff rankings, so that's pretty impressive. Um, Cristobal's successor, another young man, Dan Lanning. Uh, he has Oregon playing in a style and with a level of fun and just that I, that I don't believe we've seen, and this is going to sound ridiculous. I don't think we've seen it since Chip Kelly, even though those Helfrich teams were really good to start, even though they had Mariota that first year, I think Oregon's like operating at a level offensively in terms of their explosiveness and the, and this, their ingenuity that we haven't seen in maybe a decade, close to a decade at that program. So don't know if you caught his uh, his like very lengthy run on paragraph about the Auburn job yesterday. Not about the Auburn job, but about being asked about whether he'd be interested in other jobs. Did you have to I did. catch that? I did. The grass is damn green, and Eugene needs to be on a sweatshirt or on a t shirt or something it's a great like that. Line. I don't wear school paraphernalia, but it's a great yeah. line. I would think about wearing that on a t shirt or a sweatshirt. So he's done. He's done awesome. He's done awesome. I hope he sticks around. Pac-12 needs guys like him to lift up the conference. So um, when you're in my position, your position, we we meet a lot of coaches. We talk to a lot of coaches. And you you have to sort of sometimes be very discerning about forming impressions based on how they interact with you. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you can get conned. You know, and these guys are salesmen. <laughs> coaches are salesmen. College coaches are salesmen. It's part of their job, right? And, you know, sometimes uh, you can get conned. I met Mike Norvell uh, 
I remember very vividly. So um, I covered, I can't remember what year, might have been like 2015, 2014, whatever year Notre Dame went to Arizona State and Arizona State crushed them. You remember that game? Mm-hmm. And then Brian, Ke- and Brian Kelly threw everybody under the bus afterwards. Yeah. Um, so I stuck around in Tempe and like did a thing on Monday with, uh, with Todd Graham. And uh, Mike Norvell was the offensive coordinator. And that was the first time I'd met Mike. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, yeah, he's got it, man. This guy's got it. There are other coaches where um, the you meet them the first time and you know they don't have it. And like one example is Butch Jones. Like I knew Butch didn't have it and he was trying to have it. He was trying way too hard to have it. Yeah. I knew he didn't have it. Like Norvell, like I, I, I was like, this guy's got it, man. And uh, I actually tweeted, this was one of my great all-time tweets, when the Memphis job came open, when Fuente went to Virginia Tech, I tweeted, like, Memphis should hire Mike Norvell. Because I felt like that was the kind of job he was going to get. And it wasn't like Arizona State, they weren't like a top 10 team, you know, or anything like that. Um, so it was a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a reach, but like it took it took some, you know, some some vision and then he goes to Mem- he he ends up getting the Memphis job, which is wild, and he crushes it. And it's taken them a little bit of time, but like they've got to recruit better, they've got to do a better job in state at, at at Florida State. They should like I don't understand why they wouldn't. Tallahassee to mm-hmm. me is one of the great recruiting situations because you're you're in the state of Florida. You're also right on the border of South Georgia. There's a ton of talent in South Georgia. If you go. Go back and look at the team that won the title under Jimbo. A lot of those guys were mm-hmm. from South Georgia. And you're obviously, you know, it's hard to go head-to-head and, and beat Georgia on in-state kids, but you can do that. Um, you can go into Orlando. You can go to Jacksonville. Uh, you've, you know, you've got it's – a, it's a great college town. You know, you've got, you've got FAMU right there. Right. It's like there's a lot to, to recruit to, I think, at FSU. We've, we've seen that over the years. I think they can do better. I like what I'm seeing. I like what I'm seeing. Uh, it's not there yet. Yeah, it's, it's a team on the it's rise. On the rise. And boy, did they Absolutely. make a statement against Miami last weekend? Goodness gracious. Yep. Not good, Mario. But yeah, they're they're a team and a coach and a program on the rise. So I, I would guess that within two or three years, they're ACC champs based on the way that they progressed in the last twelve months. Based from last season to this season, it's been a a, tr- a really noticeable improvement, both sides. All right, so let's uh, run down this week's games. The noon window, kind of kind of loaded a little bit. You've got uh, Missouri Tennessee, which is going to be a CBS noon game, which is unusual. What's what's up with that? They have something else going on during the day. They've got something stupid. Well, no, they've going got they've got Alabama Ole Miss at three thirty. So I don't I don't know. What I'm seeing it says okay. CBS. So uh, so I- interesting on Tennessee, like. Uh, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but we've seen I've seen over the years a lot of teams sort of get to, you know, surprisingly get to eight and zero, nine and zero, and then they lose that first game, and then it's like it it regresses hard back to the mean, and they lose a game you don't mm-hmm. think they're going to lose. Not saying it's going to happen to Tennessee. It is at home, but I just want to put a little bit of a pin in that. Like if Missouri. If we're looking up and Missouri's winning by seven in the fourth quarter, 
Just just remember I said that. Put a pin, Put a pin in, in that. I agree. Um, LSU's got to go to Arkansas. LSU's only a three-point favorite. Uh, LSU, uh, Arkansas got crushed by Liberty last weekend. Shout out to you, Freeze. Um, is there going to be an LSU hangover? This is a game they could lose. I said it before. Like, we just, we have, this is not like anti-Brian Kelly or anti-LSU whatsoever. You cannot look at that team regardless of the nice wins they've compiled recently and just be like, oh, okay, they're going to they're gonna roll over the hogs. I mean, give me a break. Arkansas could easily win this game, 100%. In fact, yeah, Arkansas is going to win this game. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to make that my bold prediction this week too, and I'm going to send that to Eric Smith on time <laughs> this week. Um, all right, We're so if it. LSU does lose that game, then that puts the spotlight on Ole Miss at 330 hosting Alabama because what Ole Miss needs to get to the SEC championship game, by the way, Ole Miss is the only SEC West team that has never been to the SEC championship game. (laughs) If LSU loses one, that puts Ole Miss in the driver's seat in terms of controlling their own destiny. Now they still have to beat Alabama. They'd still have to beat Mississippi state, but um, boy, that would sure make that three thirty game awful. Interesting. It sure would. And you've said that you're shocked. No, let me backtrack. You're not just surprised Alabama's minus 12. You think Ole Miss I is going to win. I think Ole Miss is going to win. Alabama, what have we seen from Alabama on the road that would make us think that they're going to go into Oxford and win? Yeah, I think that's the big deal for me is it's a road game. Um, I just – Ole Miss would need to – would need to really find something – on offense beyond just running the ball 60 times a game. I love the fact that they've evolved and adapted and had a lot of success. Tremendous, tremendous credit to Kiffin and his staff for like just changing things up so they can match their personnel. I just, they're a little bit stodgy. I don't know if they're going to go toe to toe if Alabama finds success on offense. Alabama, Bryce Young should have a big day. So I think Alabama wins, but I don't think it's going to be like by such a margin or by such a result that, you're like, okay, let's buy back into Alabama again. I don't think it's going to be like that. The last time I heard stodgy was on the Great British Baking Show, sometimes used as an adjective that Paul Hollywood throws when, you know, the cake's a little too uh, little too dense. Mm. Yeah, stodgy actually sounds like some sort of British pastry. It's like hard. Uh, it's got some nasty little cream in it or something like that. I like that show. I like it too. Your, the reference did not go over my head. I like that show. It's very, very – like when they – I'll, sometimes I'll I'll put that on uh, our, our local PBS or something like that, and they'll like the music will play as they go through this English countryside, and the tents are there. It's just all very calming. It's basically meditative television. Yeah, the thing I like to me, it's like this it running joke because all the contestants act like Paul Hollywood is like this big ogre who is going to come in and rip their head off for getting something wrong, and like I don't know. The the harshest criticism he ever gives anyone is, uh, it's, it's it's such a shame, such a pity. A little dry. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, that's the difference between us, us and them. We tend to We're more direct. We've spent like a significant amount of time. We've spent more time ripping on Mario Cristobal today than he has spent ripping on someone's puff pastry in the history of the television show. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, 
So Louisville is uh, six and three. They're at Clemson. Clemson's seven point favorite. Uh, I don't know. Louisville's playing pretty well. Could could be an upset there. Yeah, seven points feels about right. Big not more big one at three thirty in the Big Easy. UCF. They're number twenty two in the poll. Tulane's number seventeen in the committee's poll. Tulane trying to get that group of five spot in the Access Bowl. Tulane's a two-point favorite. What do we think? I hope this Tulane story continues. Tulane being good is a really cool story. They went 2-10 and ten last year. They haven't been this much of a national factor since 98, Sean King and Rich Rod. Uh, I hope Tulane wins. I have a really hard time picking against UCF. I think they're surging. And look, like if UCF wins this game and gets to the playoff or gets the New Year's Six, that's three different coaches in a yeah, like seven year span, six six or six or seven season span to take their team to the New Year's Six. That's really remarkable. It would be really incredible. Yeah, but I'm going to take UCF and I, and I and not with my heart. I hope Tulane wins, but I think UCF does. Okay, uh, I can get on board with that. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Tulane. Um, Georgia's going to Mississippi State. And uh, we'll see what happens. Mike Leach is a total weirdo and weirded out again this past weekend, folding up the chairs and bringing back fat little girlfriends. And he's going to get crushed by uh, Kirby Smart. It's funny. uh, When Mike Leach used to do that thing, the Mike Leach thing, it would be like the biggest, it'd be like a meme. It would just be like shared around. It would just be a huge deal. Like we had a Mike Leach infatuation for years. I did. Years. I did. Like the, you might have. You did not. We we as a culture. Uh, yeah, I I I did not. Uh, I saw him drink beer with ice one time, and I lost my. I can I can vouch for that because um, I was there as well. He did. He put ice. He put ice in his Miller Light. The dude. He put happens. ice in his Miller Light. Uh, <laughs> uh, and there was no response to that. It's just a funny. Um, you know, it's not like it's gotten, you know, people dislike Mike Leach now What's any more or less than they used to. I just think that that, like, curmudgeonly stuff, like with the one-liners, it's, gotten old. it's just yeah. gotten old. Yeah, I just don't think people are that into it anymore. All right. Uh, Oregon hosts Washington. I like the Ducks. We agree there. They're 13.5-point favorites. Yeah, I like the Ducks. Yeah, favored by a lot. And I was shocked by that just because uh, this is a rivalry game. As good as Oregon has played, Washington has shown – that they can score points, that they can attack teams through the air. They've got a really nice offensive scheme that has worked well with Michael Penix. Uh, so I thought 15 and a half was high. But still, Oregon, they would. I think they really would need to stub their toe right now to lose this okay. game. Kansas State-Baylor should be a good one. And Waco, Baylor's two and a half point favorite. I will take Baylor. Um, TCU-Texas, 730 ABC. I think you – did you already say you're taking Texas? I think I'm going to take Texas. I think I am. I think we're going to know early, though. I think I, you can tell a lot about Texas just based off like your early impressions of Quinn Ewers. And if he's on point and in control, like through the first quarter, first three or four possessions, I think you get a good feeling about Texas when he's off as he was a few weeks back. It's a totally different situation. Um, but I think Texas wins this game and ends ten, and, and, and knocks TCU out. Texas uh, likes to blow leads and TCU likes to come from behind. Great points. That's a great point. Yeah, that's so. Uh, don't don't get too comfortable if Texas is ahead by two touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kansas State was up twenty eight ten a few weeks back, and, and TCU won. That's a great point. 
That's uh, strength against weakness. Usually the strength wins. Uh, also at 7.30, Wake Forest hosts North Carolina. The Tar Heels are 15th in the committee's poll. Quietly 8-1, and one, very quietly 8-1. and one. I I kind of think North Carolina is going to win the ACC. Ooh, that would be awesome. I think at least on Saturday, look for, uh, like, this is 45-41 kind of game to me. This should be a lot of fun. The Wake Forest can't stop committing turnovers, but if they stay clean, I think they can easily win this game. Just outscore them, like win 48-46 to or something. Drake May versus Caleb Williams for the 2023 Heisman. What do you think? Mm. Yeah, that's that's how it's going to look going into the year for sure. Drake May, uh, he's a future number one pick. I mean, it, that's that's how it's looking to be. Not number one overall, maybe, but he's a, he's a future franchise quarterback draft pick. He's looked that part. And, yeah, going into next year, Caleb Williams will be number one, certainly, but Drake May will be two, no lower than three. And then uh, not a lot to offer in the uh... – Pac-12 after dark, which Chip Kelly this week incorrectly called Pac-12 in the dark. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I did see that. Yeah, that that's not right. That's not right. We're at the time of year when a lot of games occur in the dark. We're using after dark in the like, you know, it's a suggestive, a yes, it's a suggestive right sense. Uh, but they they've got Arizona. Utah is hosting Stanford. Both those games are going to stink. Yeah, those are both bad games. Pac-12 after dark. Pac-12 in the dark. No, it's not that it. Good. It's not it, Chip. All right. That's it for this week for us. Thank you for listening to the College Football Fix. We will drop new episodes every Wednesday going forward discussing the latest news and poll results from around college football. Subscribe to College Football Fix wherever you listen and find more of our content on usatoday.com and the USA Today Sports Plus app. Thank you to uh, Eric Smith for stepping in for producer Emily this week, for Paul Meyerberg. I'm Dan Wolken. Talk to you soon. The College Football Fix Podcast.